Chapter Two of Things Seen in Venice by Lonsdale and Laura Rag. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Grand Canal. If Venice is unique as a city, surely there is nothing even in Venice more interesting and beautiful than the Grand Canal, il canalazzo, as the natives call it. This is the Ringstrasse, the Unterdain Linden of Venice its piccadilly and regent circus and i know not what else in one the beautiful sweep of its curves combined with the historic interest and dignity of its buildings recalls perhaps more than anything else the immortal high at oxford but the comparison is after all but a poor one if by an inconceivable misfortune the grand canal should at some future date be called to suffer as some of its humbler colleagues suffered under the austrian regime and be drained and filled up with rubble and solid paving and converted into a street a rio terra as the venetians would say it would still be far and away the most glorious street in europe as it is the quaint and variegated beauty of its palaces where the twelfth the fourteenth and the eighteenth century jostle one another in friendly and harmonious juxtaposition gains infinitely from the proximity of the water here in rare moments of stillness the whole architectural line is reflected while the different degrees of disturbance caused by light breeze or passing gondola have each its sequence of fantastically broken reflection to enhance the glow of the picture even the wash of the penny steamer the tram as the natives call it by a quaint metaphor or of the motor launch whose toot-toot does its best to assimilate the noise of venetian traffic to that of other towns cannot entirely destroy the effect on a bright sunny day the general result upon the eye is that of a dark green palette on which the colours of the architectural harmony above are fantastically mixed when a steamer or motor launch passes the mixture is at its weirdest and you see more of the palette from the steps of the railway station quay one sees the canalazzo winding to the right hand and to the left if we follow it to the right we soon reach its western end by turning sharp to the right again past the purlieus of the goods station and under a bridge and so into the north-western lagoon near the line of the railway viaduct which stretches in an apparently endless series of arches towards the mainland the left bank of the grand canal as we move in this direction is flanked by buildings quaintly picturesque but for the most part mean and squalid relieved by the green patch of the papadopoli garden adjoining this is a humble edifice interesting to englishmen as the british sailors institute the right bank is monopolized by the offices sheds and warehouses pertaining to the railway terminus if however we would see the glories of the canalazzo we must move eastward turning to the left as we leave the station steps under the useful but hideous iron bridge it is rather north of east that we shall move at first then due east then south beneath the famous rialto bridge then south with a touch of west for a longish spell till by the great foscari palace we sweep round to the southeast and finally east with the slightest deflection northwards past the long line of hotels to the piazzetta the doge's palace 
and the sunny riva degli schiavone il canalazzo serpenteggia the canal behaves like a twisted serpent or a reversed letter s this characteristic adds greatly to its beauty for it modulates at different points the lines and the direction of light and shade but it muddles the stranger dreadfully as to the points of the compass and distorts most inconveniently his impression of the topography of the city it also makes the housing problem very confusing for the ambitious anglo-saxon who wishes to establish himself on the sunny side of the grand canal following the canal down from the station towards the rialto the buildings on which the eye rests to the right are for the first reach picturesque rather than important the motley line includes not a little architecture that would well repay attention but nothing that forces itself upon our notice except the classical facade and disproportionate green dome of the eighteenth-century church of san simeone piccolo till we reach the fine byzantine twelfth-century building which is now the civic museum a museum by the way worth more attention than it usually receives from english visitors meanwhile the left-hand side of the canal has been full of interest longena's over-ornate church of the scalzi barefoot friars adjoining the station is quickly followed by the beautifully heterogeneous group of san jeremia its lofty thirteenth-century campanile with a modern top standing sentry over an eighteenth-century church and flanked by the handsome seventeenth-century labia palace this group which marks the entrance to the canareggio the old outlet towards mestre and the mainland ere the railway viaduct was built is typical of much that we shall see typical is the dedication of the church the venetians had a fondness for old testament saints jewett was said to their intercourse with the east saint jeremiah here has for his colleagues saint job san giobbe nearby and saint moses san moise and saint samuel in the other parts of the town typical is the mixture of the stately and the banal in the cluster of buildings typical above all is the harmonious effect produced through the blending of many tints and styles by the magic of the venetian atmosphere it would be easy to spend many pages in a detailed description of the different palaces which flank the grand canal on either hand massive renaissance structures of the fifteenth sixteenth and seventeenth centuries prominent among these are the great vendramin calergi fourteen eighty one with its refreshing green setting of garden on either side and its noble motto non nobis domine the pesaro sixteen seventy nine the corner della regina recalling the memory of the ill-fated queen caterina conaro though dating in its present form from seventeen twenty four and after the rialto bridge the manin sixteenth century home of venice's last doge now banca d'italia the grimani sixteenth century now court of appeal the papadopoli also sixteenth century like the manin attributed to sansovino the rezzonico in which the poet browning breathed his last the somewhat less imposing row of mocenigo palaces in one of which byron lodged and the corner della cagrande 
now official residence of the prefect or again we might make a study of the gothic structures of the fourteenth and early fifteenth centuries these range from the very elaborate cadoro and the magnificent ducal palace the imposing mats of the pisani foscari and giustiniani palaces the fine cavalli and its neighbour the barbaro facing the academia to the more modest but extremely graceful buildings with pointed or oji windows that are always appearing as we pass up and down the grand canal or once more we might devote our attention to the precious relics of a still earlier period like the fondaco dei turchi already mentioned and the donna and saibante to right and left of the traghetto of the madonetta all three of which date from the twelfth century nor will the english visitor fail to mark with interest the sunny and flower-bedecked front of cacapello the home of the fine collection of pictures made by the late sir henry layard the churches too which flank the canalazzo though not numerous or imposing have their interest besides those already spoken of near the station we pass one on either hand before reaching the rialto and each of these by its name typifies the gymnastic feats of which the venetian dialect is capable that of saint eustachio saint eustace on the right has dwindled into san stai while the temple on the left dedicated to santi ermagora e fortunato hermagoras and fortunatus has transformed itself compactly in dialect into the single name of san marcuola no other churches actually adjoin the grand canal till after the last bend in sight of the iron bridge of the academia we pass san samuele with its charming thirteenth-century belfry on the left followed shortly by san vidal saint vitalis at the bridge itself but almost directly opposite san samuele we may obtain a peep down a side canal to the right of one of the noblest towers in venice the campanile of san barnaba opposite san vidal at the other extremity of the iron bridge stands what remains of the fourteenth-century church of the carita worked into a most inartistic group by modern italian taste to form the academy of fine arts henceforth the ecclesiastical interest passes to the right-hand side of the water till we come to the piazzetta with its glimpse of saint mark's first we see the little campo or square of san vio saint vitus with its lovely byzantine shrine surely the tiniest church in venice says mr horatio brown and perhaps the oldest for it dates from the year nine hundred and seventeen on one side of this campo stands the modern anglican chapel of st george a transformed warehouse which has no external features to attract attention to itself but is well worth a visit for the restrained and modest dignity of its interior by a happy combination of good fortune and good taste a result has been obtained which suggests at once an english college chapel and the chapel of an old venetian scuola or guild further down still on the right-hand side is the stately brown gothic church of san gregorio behind the quaint quadrangle of the abbazia and adjacent to longena's seventeenth-century temple of our lady of health santa maria della salute one of venice's two votive plague churches 
this remarkable group which harmonizes so wonderfully with its surroundings the patriarchal seminary and the marine custom house on the punta della salute gives the grand canal its finishing touch it forms such a wholly admirable feature of the landscape as one looks westward from the basin of st mark the broad sheet of water into which the canalazzo debouches or eastward from the direction of the iron bridge that it is almost impossible to realise that venice lived and was admired for so many centuries without it the total effect of this mixture of styles and scales of architecture ecclesiastical and domestic is indescribably interesting and delightful the variation of colour gives an added charm and the graceful curves of the canal itself with the fine outline of the rialto bridge at its central point completes the picture on a bright spring day when private gondolas abound with their graceful awnings and gaily dressed gondoliers and every note of colour is enforced by its reflection in the glittering green waters the grand canal is indeed a good thing to look upon but it is interesting at all times of day from early morning till late at night and in all weathers except when a sea fog blots out the view of it pietro aretino the rascally journalist of the sixteenth century has left us a record of his impressions of the grand canal as seen from a palace window near the rialto bridge and his picture would almost pass muster to-day but for the disturbing presence of the tram steamers and the manifold results of their fussy bustling movements this he says is the patriarch of all other canals even as venice is the chief of all other cities i enjoy he goes on the fairest and most agreeable view in the whole world when i go to my window i see hundreds of people and as many gondolas at market time facing me are the meat and fish markets the campo del mancino the bridge and fondaco of the germans over against these the rialto trodden by the feet of busy wayfarers weighing the counter-attractions of an invitation to enjoy the sport and refreshment offered by the mainland in autumn he continues the boats i see from my window are laden with grapes the ships with game there are gardens in the streets themselves why should i want to look upon streams and meadows here one would be inclined to pick a quarrel with the arentine he has disclosed the weakest point of venice from the aesthetic point of view its want of response to the call of spring and autumn but of that more anon pietro proceeds to describe the delight of watching in the very early hours of the morning a great barca laden with flowers and fruit distributing its burden to lesser boats grouped round it and the sights with which later hours regale him of gondolas filled with fair dames in silks and jewels the shouting gondoliers gay in scarlet hose pietro aretino was certainly well placed there can be no dispute that one of the points of chiefest interest in this patriarch of venetian waterways is the rialto with its constant movement and cheerful bustle and with the effective colour scheme furnished by the fruit and vegetable market where the oranges as aretino says spread their gold at the feet of the camelenghi palace other points have their special days or seasons of interest once a year the reach where the races are rowed in the summer regatta 
when the canal is for the nonce as solid-looking as the thames at henley and if possible more motley in its colouring the bacino di san marco on all occasions which can be made excuse for a festa the station steps at one end and those of the palazzo reale at the other when a crowned head shows itself in venice on warm nights during the season the basin of st mark and the mouth of the canal in front of the hotels is gay with light and singing the barks of the singers conspicuous by their display of chinese lanterns are surrounded by groups of dusky gondolas with one twinkling light apiece and on really great occasions the scene is enlivened by the burning of red and green bengal lights at the punta della salute and other points of vantage bands play on the piazzetta or the riva and a large fairy-like structure called galeggiante decked out with scores of coloured lamps forms a centre for the whole group upon the water fireworks whose every scintillation is doubled by reflection give the final touch of brilliancy to the pageant one day in the year the interest of the grand canal is concentrated on a point far away from san marco we must return to a spot which we marked as interesting in our hasty survey the point where the ancient fondaco dei turchi and the non nobis palace face one another from opposite sides of the water to listen to an excellent wagner concert seated as in an opera box under the felze and on the comfortable cushions of a gondola gently rocked by the movement of the tide is a singularly pleasant way of spending a february afternoon and one which may be enjoyed annually by the inhabitants of venice on february thirteenth the anniversary of richard wagner's death the well-trained and admirably conducted municipal band gives a selection of the great composer's works not in the piazza the usual place of its performances but beneath the portico of the museo civico one of the most glorious palaces on the grand canal this palace dates as we have seen from the ninth century and is a magnificent example of the italian byzantine style in sixteen twenty one it was purchased by the venetian republic from the house of este and converted into a warehouse and place of business for turkish merchants who paid rent for it henceforth it was known as the fondaco dei turchi in the middle of the nineteenth century it was thoroughly restored and arranged for its present use as a municipal museum the vendramin palace opposite was erected for the great venetian family of loredan by one of the lombardi few places in the city have changed hands by sale so frequently the last sellers were the vendramini whose name still clings to it and the last purchaser the duchess de berry mother of henry v comte de chambord from whom it came by inheritance to the present owners built of grey istrian stone with pillars of marble medallions of porphyry spacious mullioned windows and a pleasant garden overlooking the canal it unites the strength of a fortress the dignity of a renaissance dwelling-house and the comfort and light demanded by modern luxury it was in the mezzanino of this palace the low story between the ground floor and the piano nobile that richard wagner died some eight-and-twenty years ago and the strains of his music which float across the canal and rise to the apartment which he used to love are the serenade of the living to a great shade
the noble building of which we have just been speaking may well form the text of a short digression upon the normal construction of a venetian palace for the splendid homes of the merchant princes of the republic in which to the lasting benefit of posterity they did not shrink from sinking the bulk of their capital are nearly all of them constructed on a single model the model with one modification of the native country house in one essential point the venetian building differs from that of the mainland in the nature that is of its foundations venice stands upon myriads of wooden piles driven deeply and firmly into the mud of the banks on which its original inhabitants took refuge from the unspeakable horrors of barbarian invasion on these piles driven home to the accompaniment of weird traditional songs as may still be heard and witnessed occasionally by the lucky visitor immensely heavy blocks of stone are laid and upon them is built up the extremely solid and massive structure of the venetian palace the building is in four five or six stories each of which is divided by thick party walls into three long sections running from front to back the central section in each story has no lateral partitions but forms a sort of lighting and ventilating shaft having large windows at either end the two side sections are divided into a number of smaller parts chambers offices etc to which access is gained by doors opening into the central section the sala or hall or else in the case of offices or back premises directly from the staircase each floor is very solidly constructed of concrete terrazza laid on strong wooden beams placed the short way across from wall to wall one close upon another in some of the palaces these ceiling beams elaborately painted and gilded form a conspicuous adornment the lowest floor next the water is generally speaking quite uninhabitable by reason of the damp and is used only for the storage of the gondola and its appurtenances it serves however of necessity as the entrance to the house approached at the front end by gondola and from the back on foot the back door opening upon a small courtyard or more often directly upon one of those narrow and crooked alleys calli the venetians call them which the pedestrian in venice is forced to traverse the entrance on the land side says pietro aretino is in this habitation dark and tortuous and the staircase is bad as to the approach on foot his words would be true of almost any venetian palace even the grandest the vendramin the rezzonico is another being one of the very few exceptions in which the land entrance attains even a tolerable standard of decency and seemliness yet the fact remains little suspected by the average visitor that practically every house in venice can be approached on foot the story next above the ground floor in a venetian palace is called as we have said the mezzanino or mezzanin it is not so lofty as those above it and where a single family still occupies the entire palace it forms a convenient refuge for the winter months winters are cold in venice though for the most part sunny being more easily warmed than the spacious piano nobile in the mezzanin the merchant prince transacted such business as could be done at home and an office in venice is to this day styled a mezza the piano nobile or reception floor 
is an apartment of great dignity and beauty in a typical palazzo the long and finely proportioned sala has frequently a picturesque balcony on the waterfront to which access is gained through an arcade formed by a group of pointed oji or round-headed windows the windows or openings at either end of the sala were in former days unglazed leaving the hall open to all weathers a veritable ventilating shaft as we have said for the whole house but in these days of luxury and softness the windows are all glazed and the hall where the ancient venetian used to sit if he sat there at all in furs and hat has degenerated into a modern drawing-room it is only fair to add that it makes one of the finest and most dignified drawing-rooms conceivable and the views from its front windows especially if the palace be on the grand canal are indescribably fascinating not seldom there are two noble floors in one of which the eldest married child would in old days have been ensconced Today such an apartment is considered a valuable financial asset and is in most cases let to a separate family as is often done also with the mezzanine and not seldom with the uppermost story of all this ultimo piano devoted in former days to the servants and retainers of the house is usually of about the same proportions as the mezzanine but has the advantage of much more sunlight and a purer and drier air it is greatly to be recommended to those who would find no difficulty in ascending two or three times a day three or four score of hard and sometimes steep stone stairs one notable advantage the venetian palace derives from the peculiarity of its foundations massive and heavy as is its structure it is one of the safest habitations in the world in time of earthquake the foundation is elastic and consequently the whole building can oscillate securely in one piece before we leave the canalazzo there is one more point that demands our attention the traghetto there are in all eleven of these traghetti or public ferries on the grand canal and they form historically as well as aesthetically one of the most picturesque features of that noble waterway the group of boats lying at the foot of a quaint collection of wooden water-steps amid a crowd of crooked wooden posts only one degree less crooked than their own reflections in the green water in the background a more or less animated cluster of stalwart figures centred round a wooden shelter enlivened sometimes by a tint of growing green vine or other creeper and furnished with a little shrine of the patron saint of the traghetto adds an extra touch of beauty even to the canalazzo every traghetto moreover has its own individuality true at every ferry you pay the same fare a penny palanca by night and half that sum mezza palanca or cinquesquei by day laying your obol on the gunwale of the boat like one of charon's ghostly passengers at every ferry you may have similar experiences and overhear similar conversations but the subtle difference remains and it carries us back by suggestion to the days not so very long ago when each traghetto was a close corporation with its own guild chapel and religious ceremonies with its jealously guarded rites and customs a sort of benefit club with a monopoly of the gains accruing from the proceeds of the ferrying within a certain area 
in course of time even during the days of the republic the gondoliers of the traghetti forfeited one by one their most cherished privileges forfeited them by their own short-sighted and insensate behaviour till now the last relic of real independence has left them they are simply servants of the municipality to which they are responsible for the efficiency and continuity of the ferry service by day and by night but their officers an annually elected gastaldo at the head and four bancali to support him still bear the same names which mr horatio brown has found in the old charters of the traghetto guilds or scuole dating in some cases from the fourteenth century the traghetto even in these degenerate days when one of its proud members may be handed over for insolence or neglect of duty to the police by any irate foreigner or fellow-citizen has still its elaborate rules of rotation and precedence and no doubt its jealously guarded customs and traditions End of chapter two